The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series by Mercedes Lackey and Steve Libby, presenting Book Two, The Hunt, Hoods, Part One, written by Cody Martin and Mercedes Lackey, read by Veronica Jaguer. John Murdoch had been in Atlanta just about two weeks, and this was rapidly becoming the most surreal experience of a life stuffed full of unreality, at least by the standards of Joe Sixpack and Jane Suburban. He'd found a squat in an abandoned industrial building. He had the feeling it had been some sort of lab, or maybe it had once been for a live-in caretaker. It had two rooms. The first was a bare concrete box with a single heavily barred window but plenty of electrical outlets and marks on the floor that looked like the outlines of cabinets or benches. The second was a smaller concrete box, but this one had a shower, sink, and toilet in it. For some reason, the electricity and water were still on. Maybe this had been overlooked. Maybe it was on for whoever was trying to sell the place. Partly surprising, no one else had discovered it, except that it was on the top floor and the door was almost hidden behind some piled-up sections of movable partition. He had only found it because he'd been looking for some place he could secure against the looters. Even weeks after the initial attacks, random acts of violence and robbery were common. There had already been a hasp on the door. He only had to get a padlock, and install more locks on the inside in order to secure it. It was grim, grimy, but it was private, and, for now, it was his. Slowly he had accumulated some possessions, besides the one he'd carried in his backpack when he'd arrived. All of them were things that had been discarded, but were still usable. A two-burner electric hot plate, of which only one burner had worked until he'd fixed it. An old mattress. He'd poked over quite a few of those before he'd found one that hadn't smelled of urine or cat spray, but instead smelled like eau de old lady, a kind of mingling of musty lavender, cheap soap, and dime store perfume. It looked like it was probably fifty years old, too, battered and lumpy, some stuffing spilling out of a pop seam. A couple of plastic cartons that served as tables supported scavenged lamps with bulbs just bright enough to read by. A cheap wind-up radio flashlight he'd been given as part of the CERT pack that gave him thirty minutes of music for a minute of cranking, and an old TV that didn't have a cable hookup, only an antenna made of a coat hanger. A couple of boards and some bricks made a bookshelf he was slowly filling with whatever he could find. Last of all, his latest catch, a tiny refrigerator that he had pulled out of a wrecked RV. He had carefully cut a thick piece of cardboard to fit over the room's window at night, to prevent any light from showing. All in all, it was a dump, but it was more home than he'd had in a while. He was still not sure why he was here. He'd initially thought he would go straight to Echo HQ and sign up, but one look at the half-wrecked place had raised the hackles on the back of his neck. Partly it was the way he'd been treated by the uniformed Mach 1s guarding the entrance to the site. Like he was a nuisance, but potentially a dangerous one. One they eyeballed warily, with hands hovering too near their weapons for comfort. Partly it was the feel of the place. It reminded him of a biovac that had been shelled, full of grass-green troopers who had never seen a firefight in their lives. Echo had been whipped, whipped good, and the Metas were still in shock, in disbelief, and in fear. Not something he wanted to get tangled in the middle of. If they found out where he was really from, 
as opposed to the cover story he'd been trying to make up. They'd probably turn him in. What would the mood they were in? He should have moved on. Yet he had stayed. Part of it was because it was easy. There was money to be picked up in odd, ask-no-questions day-labor jobs, enough to buy food and coffee. He had a squat. And it felt like he should be here, although he couldn't have said why. That was the other bit. Where else was there to go? Every major city had been hit, just about. Small towns were only so good, since people tended to notice strangers easier. His building was on the edge of one of the neighborhoods, old and run-down, red brick and wood-framed two- and three-story buildings. It was mostly intact, and bounded by two of the destruction corridors, swaths of war's own wreckage where the Nazi war machines had just plowed through, blasting everything in their path. Power and water had been restored very, very quickly here. Nobody wanted blackout rioting. But after that, it was as if the city promptly forgot about them. Maybe they had. Having nothing but time on his hands, John set to work. There was plenty to be done in the neighborhood, and most folks were willing to pay him with a meal or some other commodity that he could use. A blanket here a t-shirt there, a book, it added up to more comfort. Someone had given him an entire box full of old National Geographics in return for welding a leaky water pipe. Some of the locals knew about his powers. He kept it very low-key, and so did they. Still, the people of this area were fairly tight-knit, and word spread. Having a unique ability put him in high demand, and allowed him to charge a little more than if he had just been another set of hands. It might have been taking slight advantage of these folks when they were in need, but they couldn't complain too loudly. They were getting help that they couldn't get anywhere else. Forget about getting any handyman in here to fix things. They were all on high-paid jobs in the whiter parts of the city. Echo hadn't been seen in this area since the attacks. It seemed to the residents that they were too busy looking after their own hides to spare any time for people that didn't have flush bank accounts. Or at least, that was how it looked from in here. Today, the job was helping a local bodega owner to get into his store. It was located on the east side of the neighborhood, right on the edge of one of the destruction corridors that had turned this area into an island, separated by war zones from the rest of the city. The owner's name was Jonas, he was an elderly black man that had a kind way about him that John couldn't quite place. He liked him immediately upon meeting him. Jonas sighed, looking to his right, at what John could only compare to the bombed-out ruins of the cities of Bosnia. You know, it seems to me that when things like this happen, the only people really hurt and hurt bad are the ones that just happen to be in the way. Maybe this wasn't the best part of town, but... A lot of folks live there. A lot of them are dead now, and they never hurt nobody. Only the Lord knows where the rest of them are. John shook his head, walking past a large pile of rubble. There's never any rhyme or reason to things like this. At least no good reason. I'm old enough to remember the peace marches in the 60s. Hell, I was marching with them. A wry expression passed over Jonas's face. 
Funny how it seemed like there was an awful lot of black and brown faces in Vietnam all out of proportion to the population, you know? We had that chant. War. Hmm. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. I don't see anything here to make me change my mind. Well, now I just need to get you elected, Jonas. John grinned. They had arrived at their destination. The bodega was located right on the corner of the street. What used to be a street, anyhow. Part of the building above the entrance had been collapsed, somehow. Stray weapons fire, more than likely. Tons and tons of twisted rebar, bricks, and building refuse prevented anyone from even seeing the door. Corrugated steel riot shutters were pulled down and locked over the windows. They'd be the target. The smell in there is probably enough to choke a mule, Jonas observed ruefully. But the canned goods should still be good, and Lord knows that there is an acute shortage of diapers around here. If I can just get the store running, I might be able to get someone to bring in stock for me. John nodded, pulling back the sleeves of his shirt. Just show me where to cut, and we'll get you back to running this joint. The locks first, then the hinges, there and there, Jonas pointed. The shutters should just fall off. John relaxed, focusing his breathing and untensing his muscles. Once he was sure that he was concentrated on what he had to do, he spoke. You'll want to look away for this. It's going to be pretty bright. He waited a heartbeat before he started the flames. Small at first, no bigger than what a zippo would produce. That was always the hardest part, keeping from releasing all of the energy at once. The flames started a few inches in front of his fingertips. They coalesced and then intensified. A few seconds later, the fire was white-hot and steady. John willed the flames to where they were needed in a rigid stream, sending sparks into the air each time he contacted metal. Behind him, he heard people congregating. Not many, and they were quiet. One kid piped up with, Mr. Jonas, you guys gonna open the store? Ma says if I don't come back with laundry soap, she's gonna make me wash them diapers. A couple folks chuckled at this. We'll help you clear out the garbage, Jonas, if that'll get you going faster. John was just about finished with the last hinge on the shutters when company showed up. The distinctive Echo uniforms were unmistakable. Tight black pants and form-fitting jackets with little Nehru collars, looking as if they had come straight from a 60s sci-fi show about the future. Over the right breast, the Echo logo in red. Knee boots of shiny stuff that was not leather completed the image of sci-fi flashback. All they lacked to make the image complete was a perky little cap. Now, supposedly the reason for the color, or lack of it, was the special fabric. Nano-weave, it was called. And it didn't take dye. This was its natural color. Great. Goon Patrol. John extinguished his flames in an instant, never mind the fact that the molten metal from the locks and hinges was still cooling on the sidewalk, but he didn't want to be too obvious if he could help it. The Echo Squad made its way through the crowd, which parted readily. 
Folks around here had grown to mistrust anything in a uniform after years of being targeted for routine policing. And with recent events, Echo wasn't really a home crowd favorite. Jonas stepped in front of John, fists on his hips, looking the Echo Patrol up and down before he spoke. "'Anything we can do for you, boys?' he asked, with perfect diction and pronunciation, making sure that his gray hair and age spoke for him as well. "'Or do you think that you can give us a hand getting into my store so that I can start serving my neighbors here again?' He gave a sidelong glance at one of the little kids. "'Seems Jamel here is going to have to wash diapers unless I can sell him some soap for his mama.' One of the Echo operatives stepped to the front of the group, a distinctly displeased look on his face. He was a thin man, in good physical shape like almost all of the Echo personnel, but with a look of irritation so ingrained in his features that it probably never left his face. He could have used a perky little cap to cover his bald spot, John thought. Normally he would have laughed right in front of the man, but this wasn't a particularly good time to show his disdain for uniforms and the folks that wore them. I don't suppose you have any proof that you own this business? The leader, a Mach 1, said through gritted teeth. Sure I do. In the store. Jonas jerked a single thumb back towards the inaccessible bodega. This caused more than a few people in the crowd to chuckle. They were definitely not on the Echo Leader's side, and he knew it. Hey, said one lanky bystander. Use that head. That store's been a wreck for two weeks. Stuff's been rotten in there. Who'd break in there when even my dog knows old Jonas ain't never kept no cash past closing time, and there ain't nothing in there now but stink and soap and canned beans? The echo leader frowned even more, which John hadn't thought was possible without the man's face splitting in half. Right. I can only guess that I'll find plenty of folks in this crowd that'll vouch for Jonas here. So I'll save my time. I've got more important things to do than contend with this. Like it the bastards that torch my car? Called someone. Or the jerks that are selling crack in the next block? Asked another. Now, with the primary attack from the invaders being centered on Echo headquarters, we're understaffed. We lost a lot of good people and need to refill the ranks to meet the demand for security around the city. We've received reports of a metahuman in this area, an unregistered one. We're willing to offer a reward for anyone that wishes to cooperate. Dead silence followed his words. Jonas scowled. The metahuman looked over the crowd, looking down his nose at them in a way that reminded John of a middle management type that had shown up to inspect a worksite he'd once done day labor at. The man exuded an I'm-better-than-this attitude, and it was apparent to the gathered crowd. Definitely not smart on his part, but there wasn't much to be done about it. We are under martial law, the leader said, his voice sounding a little shrill, but still maintaining a prissy edge. I'll have you know I have the authority to arrest anyone I suspect of harboring an unregistered metahuman and incarcerate them for as long as I care to. The only thing that could have been worse would be if he had started firing into the crowd with a sidearm. The residents started protesting loudly. 
some of them a little bit more aggressively than was comfortable for the officer. He realized his mistake too late. What had been a gawking crowd standing around waiting peaceably was turning very ugly. The man's own squad exchanged incredulous glances. "'You can't do that!' someone protested, but the man next to him elbowed him viciously. "'He's a cop,' someone else said, with a resigned sneer. "'He can do whatever he wants to, like the cops always have.' John stepped forward, holding up a hand to quiet everyone. He settled his gaze on the echo leader. "'Cut the crap, fella. What do you want?' "'Are you the unread—' John interrupted him. "'Yeah, yeah, save it. I'll repeat myself. What do you want?' John crossed his arms in front of his chest, waiting for a response. The man started to sweat. "'I'm authorized to order you to come in for registration and recruitment into Echo. Failure to do so—' "'Bull, pal. You got no such authority. You never did before, and nothing's changed since. The Constitution is still around, I'm assuming, so unless you got me doing something wrong— You've got no right to drag me in. If you want to ignore that, I doubt that you and your Boy Scouts here could do the job. John casually pointed a finger at the group of three Echo Mock-Ops behind their leader. They were huddled together, almost defensively. The shocked looks on their faces told them that their putative leader had stepped far, far over the line. They're green, and you're so full of it I'm surprised that your eyes aren't brown. John took a step forward, igniting his flame so that they sheathed around his right arm as he moved. So, you want to make an issue of it, or can I go back to helping out another law-abiding citizen? It was a no-win situation, and the leader knew it. Whatever his powers were, they could not possibly equal John's. Even with his flames out of the picture, John had several modifications that would still put him over par with these chumps. What was more, the crowd was still looking ugly. They were firmly in John and Jonas's camp to begin with, and more so now that the Echo Leader had opened his mouth. The man turned red with fury, but at least he finally had the sense to realize when he was whipped. I I'm going to report this, he sputtered, pointing an accusing finger at John, and then Jonas. And when I do... "'It'll go in a big file drawer that nobody ever opens "'along with everything else about this neighborhood,' "'said someone from the back of the crowd. "'Y'all can talk and maybe we'll listen "'when y'all are down here actually doing something for us.' "'The echo leader looked as if he wanted to retort "'with another snooty comment, but thought better of it. "'Still red in the face, he turned on his heel "'and marched back through the crowd, his squad in tow. "'The crowd jeered and hollered plenty "'as the uniformed metas left.' but their attention turned back to John and Jonas after the Echo personnel were out of sight. Jonas, you ready to get back to business? Looks to me like you got plenty of customers here waiting on you. John shut off his flames again, setting his fists on his hips. There is nothing I would like better, my brother, replied Jonas with a smile. John threw him a lopsided grin in return and set about prying off the shutters. He didn't like the fact that Echo had heard that he was in the area, 
and was a metahuman. Anytime something like that had happened in the last few years, John had gotten the hell out of Dodge as fast as he could. He had been careful not to let his name slip during the conversation with the Echo Stooge just now, but that wasn't much comfort. Despite the home team support from the neighborhood, he didn't doubt that there would be someone who'd be willing to talk, whether through being bribed or under duress. Ah, shove it. He'd stay put for now, and see what more he could do. If things went south, he could fade away into the background chaos of the city. He pushed those thoughts to the back of his mind. Right now, all he wanted to worry about was whether Jonas had any beer left in his shop. Somehow in the days since the confrontation with the Echo Team, John had found himself doing more and more within the neighborhood. More than he had wanted to. He had gone from being handyman and portable welding torch to local sheriff. It scared him. Why did these people trust him? What made them think that he was capable or that he knew anything? That he wouldn't betray them somehow, save his own skin when it came down to the wire? Were they insane? It mystified him being thrust into this role, this job, and he couldn't stop doing it. Just like he couldn't force himself to move on, to just glide in the background. It was maddening. John stumbled through the open door of his squat in the old industrial loft, a day's worth of sweat and grime covering him from head to toe. He shut the door behind him, latching it shut, securing deadbolts he had installed there himself. There were more security devices on that door than there were on most people's cars. Feeling a modicum of safety, John stripped out of his work clothes. When he was done, a Kevlar assault vest, a pair of tactical boots, and two armored shoulder pads lay in a messy pile at the foot of his mattress. All of them were well-worn, with various disfigurements marring their once-new exteriors. An acid burn there, a tear from a knife there, a rip caused through sheer bludgeoning. These wounded garments were a reflection of the past experiences of their owner. John still didn't have a great deal of money, but when a person knew where to look, there'd always be bits and pieces of equipment laying around, just waiting for someone to snatch them up. He'd once thought himself to be above scavenging, but necessity and time had worn away at some of his scruples. Still soaked through with sweat, John stood panting with his back to the door, surveying his apartment. This inspection wasn't to make sure that everything was real, but rather to make sure that everything was how it had been left. Not that there was much that could have been tampered with. Some trash leaking out of a torn garbage bag. The ratty mattress against the wall. The battered hot plate for warming meals. The floor was a concrete slab with the dirt caked on so thick you could have thought it was old wood. And a television switched off. Some books. His couple of bent and battered lamps. A hand crank radio the RV fridge with the guts showing at the sides and back, a couple plastic milk cartons with some clothing piled inside, and all exactly as he had left it. Having decided that his sanctum, if you could call it that, was still inviolate, John walked over to the mattress. He flopped down on it hard, sighing heavily as he did. He figured he still had some time to steal himself for the shakes that always came after a day of work. He sat up straight, then pulled his knees to his chest. 
His teeth clenched. He tried to regulate his breathing a little. Then the shakes started. Every day, John Murdoch would wake up, put on his work clothes, and go out into the neighborhood around his squat, helping out by daylight, but after dark fighting against the worst elements of society, all of whom were taking advantage of the absence of the cops to prey on the helpless. They were everywhere. The exploiters and bullies, the corruptors, the tormentors. And he'd fight himself. It was an uphill battle getting steeper every day. And at the end of every day, he'd come home, clean up, and swear he'd never do it again. Never run down an alley, only to meet a chorus of shotgun blasts. Never plod through a dark abandoned building, wondering which shadow wouldn't really be just a shadow. Never have to listen to the cries of some innocent schmo, waiting to die or worse, someone at the wrong place at the wrong time, screaming for help. Save me, please, help! But then he'd think about what he'd done, before the Nazis, before the invasion, what he'd done and what had been done to him, and her. Then he'd slowly stop shaking and turn on the television, pick up a book as he absorbed the yammering of some bright smile gibbering about the latest news as if the invasion had never happened, or as if it didn't matter as long as people bought their babble bought the products they advertised. He'd maybe eat, and then he would sleep. And repeat it, all the next day. After running into the Echo Patrol, Echo Impressment Gang would have been a more fitting title, John had surprised himself. It hadn't taken long for the locals of this isolated neighborhood to figure out that John was more than just another refugee or drifter. It had started small. Usually it was just someone that needed help clearing rubble from their home, or getting the plumbing working. Things started to quickly ramp up, after his metahuman nature was well known in the area. A local grocer needed protection from the gangs, a building full of concerned tenants that were tired of the drug dealers using the abandoned apartments of their home for deals, and so on. The people couldn't go to Echo, or the cops. Both were stretched thin in the city as it was, and were more concerned with taking care of key areas which more often than not meant the wealthier sections of Atlanta. It was against his best interest to do anything high-profile. Just running around at night and taking care of the worst of the criminal element was already plenty stupid by his estimation. But there was still something that wouldn't let him ignore these people. And he hated it. It went against his instincts, honed after the last few years of surviving all alone. He hated what had started all of this more, though the invaders, and the small-timers that were preying on the remains of their destruction, like carrion feeders. Latching onto that hatred, John had acted. There were two gangs in the neighborhood that had banded together after the attacks, for mutual protection. In truth, they were closer to militias, which gave John something to work with. He had talked with the leaders of both groups. They were criminals, all right, but he wasn't exactly all that noble either. His plan was to organize both groups around the neighborhood they shared, with the purpose of taking care of the area's basic needs. This would afford the groups a measure of responsibility, which was close enough to water the mouths of the gang leaders. Initially, they resisted John's plan. 
That quickly faded after he had properly demonstrated his powers on a ruined car during one of the first joint meetings he'd held with the gang leaders and a council of some of the more prominent neighborhood residents. There was one thing that always made sense to criminals, and that was violence, or at least the threat of it. John hated doing it, but it was a necessary evil in order to get them to listen. Once the groundwork was laid within the community, they became rather self-sufficient. Space was cleared for a community garden. Classes were organized for children and adults alike. A minor clinic run by a retired veterinarian, and even a sanitation service. Between the two destruction corridors, the neighborhood started to resemble something close to normality. It was akin to how the Black Panthers had made neighborhoods self-sufficient back in the 70s, the key difference being that this neighborhood had banded together in the face of shared hardship and recent horror, instead of against racial discrimination. That night, John was reading Kierkegaard's Purity of Heart, when he actually bothered to pay attention to the television. A group of Metas, wearing red uniforms, were displayed in a video clip, fighting the Nazis against a background of what looked like the Russian version of the invasion. The newscaster, offering his sardonic commentary about a group of radically leftist heroes, calling themselves the Coalition of Communist Crusaders for the Proletariat. Then, another shot, of some of the same people arriving on the concourse of Atlanta Hartsfield, escorted by ECHO personnel, warily avoided by the civilians, over whom most of them towered. Especially one striking woman, dark-haired and stunning, with cold eyes that measured everything and found it substandard. Apparently, they had come to help. While the name would imply a closed membership of rusky hardliners, the bright smile and empty eyes blathered, the group declares that it welcomes anyone willing to fight for the greater good of the working class, and I'd thought all that was so last year. The bleached and teased newscaster smiled and laughed with his bleached and teased co-anchoress. Disgusted, John shut the television off. His interest had been piqued, though. Maybe if he had time tomorrow.